Are all losses in the NFL playoffs created equal? We'll get into that and a lot more this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. I'm the Iceman. That is the coach. The NFL playoffs are roaring, and we have a lot to get into, not just what I said at the top of the show, but so much more. Coach, welcome to the show. Good to see your face, brother. Iceman, happy to be here. Uh, The NFL playoffs are alive and well. Uh, going into the second round, which was exciting over the weekend. My Super Bowl picks are still intact. Uh, my Bradley Braves suffered a tough loss at the hands of Belmont on Saturday afternoon, but not all hope is lost. There is a path, but they're going to have to be pretty much perfect from here on out to uh, win the league. But even if they don't, there's still a shot at the tournament uh, at the end of the year. Other than that, a pretty relaxing weekend here. How about yourself? I mean, I'm pretty good. I'll have to admit this was probably the first weekend of the NFL playoffs that I really paid attention and tried to watch every game because I feel like We got a lot of the slop out of the way in that first round. Got a lot of the teams that nobody wants to see. There was a couple good stories, some intriguing matchups. Very, very happy about all that. Actually, I got out of the house quite a bit this weekend, which is unusual. Since the pandemic started, since we had our son, I don't find myself getting out all that often. And it was nice to not just have plans. It wasn't like we had plans, but it was, hey, we're out for five or six hours. And it was just a nice change of pace because let me tell you what, if you have kids or whether you don't have kids, If you're in the house for hours and hours on end, you never leave. Cabin fever is a real thing. And we're all kind of feeling it here in the ice house. Yeah, especially this time of year. I mean, pandemic aside, uh, you know, we all have a tendency to kind of hunker down when the weather gets cold. And especially after Christmas and you have the joy of the holidays behind you. It is nice when you find yourself out on one of those long, long afternoons on a Saturday or Sunday in January, February and find some things to do, especially if you get a little sunshine, the temperature kicks up a hair. It's even nicer. And uh, you're absolutely right, though. Cabin fever is a real deal. Uh, Just happy that luckily I've stayed busy enough recently that hasn't really crept in on me much, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, but especially when our hobby is a sports show in which we have to be inside to create this product for everybody. So there's kind of a juxtaposition of what I want to be doing, what I need to be doing and trying to toe the line. But man, we had the NFL playoffs this weekend, another NFL-centric episode, despite the fact that I actually have college basketball on right behind me, and you talked about the Bradley Braves. You sent me a really cool video, and I I may have sarcastically said 90s Bulls vibes, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, every team does that now, but it's really cool to be at an arena and see that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, when I saw the Bills and Bengals game and it was snowing, I thought, you couldn't pay me enough to be at that game. Are you kidding me? Like, I would have loved have been at that game like now it's not something i think i would want to do a lot but like one time nfl playoff game especially in a place like buffalo snow falling i don't know i mean as a kid he always grew up like wanting to play in a snow game and all that stuff and i think that i I would like to try it one time for sure and that's the type of game i'd love to be at uh not just like a week seven game in chicago or something like give me a playoff game where there's something on the line and especially in a city like buffalo that'd be pretty sweet Dude, it looks miserable. Like you're paying for that experience. Like what other activity do you do that you have to pay to be cold and miserable outside of, I guess, skiing, but you're all bundled up and you're going down the slopes. 
Here, if you're a Bills fan, you're at this game watching your team lose again. You're going down the emotional slopes. That's what you're doing. And I'm sure that everyone or the vast majority of the people in that stadium were probably well lubricated uh, by the time that game kicked off. And I'm sure that helped keep a few folks warm. Listen, people, do yourself a favor. Get an 85-inch television. Get some heating and just watch the shit out of that game in the comfort of your own home, making your own nachos, not having to pay for really expensive beer, really expensive concessions. And at the end of the day, your team loses in epic fashion once again. And that's actually a segue, man. So two teams lost, or more teams lost this weekend, but two teams lost that have really been in the news cycle. And I want to break it down with you because last week we talked about quarterbacks. We talked about moving on. When do you know? How do you know when your window is shut and you have to move on? And Josh Allen and Dak Prescott were in the news this morning. I was watching ESPN and that's kind of what spurred this on. And they were talking about expectations and whether Dak Prescott was being unfairly judged for his losses and his performances compared to Josh Allen. I've actually been critical of Josh Allen and the Bills recently because, as you've known, I feel like they weren't playing up to snuff given the fact that we have all, our show included, given them the benefit of the doubt that they're a very good football team. And to me, they haven't taken that step up. But they played a team like the Bengals who have taken that step up, and it seems as if they're on the trajectory that the Bills seem to want to be on, and I think all the media said they were on. And when I asked at the beginning of the show, is every loss created equal? Do you feel like each of those guys, Josh Allen and Dak Prescott, are being equally judged? Or do you think that Dak Prescott is being more unfairly judged based off of the fact that he's losing, but Josh Allen is losing at the same clip? I think they're each being judged properly. We have to remember that a few years ago, Buffalo was, you know, the laughing stock of the NFL to some degree. Yeah, sure, they'd have little big wins here and there. They might go on a little run, but... I mean, they were at the bottom of the barrel and have been for a long time. And when Josh Allen and company got to town, they took a huge leap forward. You know, you could almost argue that maybe they arrived ahead of schedule a little bit. Now, I think that they've got this playoff experience under their belts now here, what, three years in a row. Uh, I think that allows for, you know, some growth from here. Now, if they go out there next year, same deal. And next year looks just like this year. I think that's cause for concern. Um, we have to remember Josh Allen is um, a younger, lesser experienced quarterback than Dak Prescott is at this point. I think Dak, Dak Prescott has had uh, several years with a very good team around him and has managed to be average. Um, and and just looking at this season, you know, when I looked through the notes, I was like, all right, well, let's look at some numbers. And I just looked at the season numbers. But, you know, Allen had 362 completions to Dak's 261. Now, Dak's percentage was a little higher. It was 66% to Allen's 63%. Uh, but there's 20 categories on this page I'm looking at, and Dak is only favored in four of them. Completion percentage, he was sacked fewer times. Um, excuse me, three of them. Completion percentage, sacked fewer times, and he had more snaps per game than Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen, like I said, had 362 completions. He threw for four, uh, 4,300 yards, 35 touchdowns to Dak's 23. Uh, Dak threw for 2,800 yards. I mean, there's just a huge disparity when it comes to really the numbers when you look at them this year. And to uh, now the argument could be if Josh Allen was that good this year, why are they sitting at home right now? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, you're right. Dak missed some time earlier this year. But, you know, the argument that could be made and you know against this is the fact that Josh Allen had these numbers and they're not even making it to the AFC championship game. Now, also, though, I'd say that the AFC was much, much deeper than the NFC this year, for sure. I mean, we talked about that 
um, coming into the playoffs that we felt there were five or six teams in the AFC that could have made a run at this thing. And at the NFC, it looked like maybe two or three. When I look at both of them, I think that I see Josh Allen and he is leading the league in turnovers in the playoffs in the last few years. And one thing I hadn't considered that I also saw, this was before the game, was Brian Dayball leaving. And we gave him a huge ton of credit for his turnaround of the Giants. And no matter what happened in the game this week, it was a great turnaround for that team. And I forgot that Dayball was the offensive coordinator for Josh Allen when he was there. And the leap that he took was also adding Stephon Diggs, but having a great offensive coordinator there. And when he leaves, Josh Allen becomes a little bit less elite. He didn't play elite this year to me, not the way that he played last year, turned the ball over a lot. But I do feel like that team as a whole deserves criticism. It's not all on Josh Allen. But on the other side of that, Dak Prescott 100% deserves the criticism he is receiving because when I watched that game, and we talked last week about analytics being a complimentary piece, but the eye test sometimes is where you need to go. When you watch that game, the way that Dak played, the eye test didn't match there. He threw some horrific interceptions that 100% cost them the game. I know they had kicker issues and everything. And San Francisco's defense is elite, but it wasn't as if Dak Prescott played so well and the team just couldn't overcome. And I just feel like Dak Prescott doesn't have that it factor. He's more experienced, yes, but I asked this to you and I posed this to my wife earlier. That game last year between the Chiefs and Bills, the back and forth game that changed the rules, there's no way that Dak Prescott can keep up in a game like that. He doesn't have that kind of game. That's the ceiling that Josh Allen has. I don't know if Dak Prescott is capable of that ceiling the way that he has played this season. Something is different about him. I don't know what it is, but Dak 100% played worse than Josh Allen, despite the fact that both teams lost. Yeah, I think that Dak's ceiling is much lower. And you have to think one thing that Dak has in his favor that Josh Allen has never really had is a running game. You have two great running backs in Dallas. Josh Allen has not had that since he's been in Buffalo. I mean, it is running back by committee. Uh, it is a pass first offense. There's no uh, opportunity to set up play action. I mean, if you could imagine uh, Josh Allen in an offense where play action was a real weapon, that to me is scary alone. I think that Dak has had more weapons around him as a whole. I do think the, I'm not a big Mike McCarthy fan. I think the Bills are better coached than Dallas. Now you could say that Mike McCarthy's had a lot of success, gotten a lot of teams in the playoffs, but he, he just seems like he can't get over that hump. And I think that Dak Prescott is the embodiment of that in a lot of ways. Uh, good enough to win quite a few football games, not good enough to win the big game. And you're absolutely right. There's no way that he could hang, hang around in a shootout against Mahomes or Allen or any of those high-level guys. He has certainly shown that he can be capable of that, but I don't know if it's the injuries that he's had, because remember he had that horrific ankle injury in 2020, or is it 21? I can't remember which year, but he had that injury. Coming back from that, he missed time this year with his thumb. Maybe he wasn't 100%. You said Josh Allen wasn't 100%, and he certainly didn't play that way, but the team itself came out flat. Whereas the Dallas Cowboys, the defense 100% played well enough to win against the 49ers. The offense couldn't do anything with that. Now, again, I want to say, talk about a running game. Tony Pollard did break his fibula earlier in the game. So he was out, really debilitated them because Zeke is obviously a glorified fullback at this point. He's not going to give you that 150 yard performance the way that he used to. So there were some factors into it, but Keyshawn Johnson was trying to say that Dak Prescott played a lot better and was just as good as Josh Allen in terms of how they played in the playoffs. And I think that when you look at their body of work, yes, they have the same amount of losses, and Josh Allen has lost three straight big games in the playoffs now, 
but the playoffs were supposed to be difficult, and Josh Allen has mostly played well. He has better stats than Dak Prescott does. I think he was something like he had 17 touchdowns to four interceptions or something like that in the playoffs, which is great, but it just didn't work out this year, and the team they lost to went to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, and, and Josh Allen's performance has put his has put his team in more big games in the playoffs than Dax has. I, I think that to some, not that Dak has not been a contributor, but I think that really the Cowboys sort of survive by being average to above average at almost all positions. You know, I mean, they they don't have a lot of positions on the field where they really have a hole, uh, where you have a lot of teams that really have glaring weaknesses and the Cowboys don't have that so much, but they're just lacking that that special dynamic player, I think, that can really like break a game open. They don't have that. And Dak's not that guy. And that's, you can still be successful that way. But if you're going to have a guy like Dak, you have to have an absolutely elite defense, I think, and a, a really strong running game. And we could, yeah, the running game's been good, like we said, especially with the two headed monster. But you got to have the other pieces too. And I don't think that Dallas has had that. It's funny. My brother in law started asking about what do we do? now with the future as, as a Cowboys at quarterback. And last week, you and I dabbled a little bit in the future and how do you decide when to move on? And it's funny because a couple years ago, the Cowboys were trying to restructure his contract or sign him to an extension. And Aaron Rodgers was unhappy, kind of looking to get out of Dodge a little bit. And that might have been their window to move on from Dak to something that maybe would have been more win now. And I think when it comes to building a contender, if you're looking at the Cowboys and the Bills, I think the Cowboys are not nearly as set at quarterback as the Bills. Like Josh Allen maybe can critique his play and he didn't he didn't come up in the big moments in this particular game and maybe they were a little bit flat this year. But I think your future with him looks bright, especially if you continue to put pieces around him. If Josh Allen played for the Cowboys right now, that team would be in the Super Bowl with the amount of weapons that they have in other places that they have had in the last few years. I mean, really the Bills offense is kind of, I hate to say a one-trick pony, but you know, the chasm between Diggs and then Gabe Davis, and Gabe Davis is a very capable receiver, but it's not as if they have a really solid one-two there. The Cowboys have actually had that in other years, previous years, and I just feel like the Cowboys may be in this place where they're stuck with Dak for a while, and they're going to have to hope they get that high ceiling where I feel like the Bills know what the ceiling is, and Josh Allen is more easily capable of reaching it than Dak Prescott is. Yeah, and I think what sucks about the Cowboys is that is an organization and a fan base and an owner that will not accept a rebuild. You know what I mean? I, don't, I feel like rebuilding in, in Dallas is not an option. You know, if they make a change from Dak, it's going to have to be something that's perceived by pretty much everyone as a significant upgrade. And just unfortunately, there aren't a lot of those options out there. Yeah, you could argue, well, what if Rodgers is, well, Rodgers not going to go back and play for Mike McCarthy, I don't think, but, or, you know, Tom Brady, if he's going to stick around and look for somewhere to go. But there's just not a lot of those options out there. We can come in and say, this guy is definitely head and shoulders better than Dak. This is an absolute upgrade. I just don't know that that guy exists that you could get, get in there right now. And so you're right. I think you're stuck with them for a while and you need to focus on keep building the team around them so that you can be excellent in other areas to maybe give him whatever little bit of cushion he needs to make up for his lack of serious dynamic playmaking ability. But let me ask you though, when you're building a contender, 
I think the usual mantra is that you want to build through the draft and you want to create consistency with your organization the way that the Patriots did it. But the way I see it is that you need to take the Patriots out of this discussion because they're an outlier. It's so difficult to have 20 years of sustained success in the NFL with a salary cap and free agency and everything that you have. And I think that there are two ways or pathways to success here. We've seen teams like the Patriots or the Steelers or you know teams like that where they've had consistency at a position, quarterback being it, and they've been able to bring in pieces. But once the quarterback goes, you have a decision to make. And the Rams decided to go another direction. They sold out. They mortgaged the future for their Super Bowl. And I'm asking you as a fan, do you care about consistency or is it just about winning that Super Bowl? Like, let's take the Bears. If the Bears could bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago and they had a three-year window to make it happen and they won a Super Bowl, that's worth it to you, right? Uh, for a Bears fan, probably, I would say. It's been it's been a while. It's a city and a franchise is very desperate and hungry for a Super Bowl. Um, you know, they were close a few times, what, 10 or so years ago um, with you know, Cutler and some of those dudes, uh, Devin Hester. But anyways, you know, I, I think that the Rams are sort of the anomaly, right? I think that more so the recipe for success is what the Chiefs have done a little bit. You get uh, you get a quarterback on his rookie deal. You build around him uh, with talent. You hope, you know, obviously that quarterback, you know, Mahomes is no longer on his rookie deal. <laughs> Uh, so they're paying them a pretty penny. So we'll see how long they can sustain this with trying to piece everybody, everyone together around him. But I do think that that allows for a bigger window of success than you said, kind of mortgaging the farm for one crack at it. I think that, you know, because of some of the pieces the Rams had, they were sort of, they were forced to do that a little bit. They didn't have that young quarterback, rookie deal guy. And, and so I think they, they kind of forced their hand if they wanted to put themselves in that position. But I would rather like the Colts. I would rather see the Colts follow that blueprint of get a young quarterback on his rookie deal, spend the money on putting a team around him, see what happens. Because uh, even if that quarterback putters out, you still have a solid base to build from, hopefully, to where if you mortgage everything for, you know, a veteran quarterback and a couple other veterans, I mean, you might have a one or two year window and then it's back to ground zero. Well, so much of it comes to bringing in the right guy. I mean, the Colts have tried to do the veteran quarterback thing, but they've been bringing in the remains of old quarterbacks and not bringing in a guy playing at this level. And I do think that you're right, though. I do believe that getting the person on the cheap is the way to go, but it's so difficult because historically we've seen that teams aren't really that great at draft evaluation, that many of the first round picks don't pan out unless they're a sure thing. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a sure thing. We saw that. I think Andrew Luck was a sure thing. But even that's very difficult to make a contender out of, especially if you don't have the pieces or don't find the right pieces. And I think the Cowboys are in an interesting spot because you brought up something that I didn't even consider, fan bases and where they are. Like me as a Patriots fan, I'm cool that the Patriots don't sell out to try to win right now because they've had a lot of wins in their past, in their recent past. So there's something to satiate me as a fan. But if you're a team of the Cowboys, it's been 30 years since they've won a Super Bowl. And I'd like to think, and my brother-in-law said this, that he'd be fine if they sucked for nine years, but they won that one Super Bowl by trading away a bunch of draft picks and getting an elite guy in there. And do you think that Cowboys fans would be okay with that or do you think that they would still rest on the laurels of, well, we once were a great dynasty and we want to be that again? I don't know if dynasties are really going to happen the way that they have in the NFL. It's going to be very difficult to sustain that. No, I think Cowboy fans would take that in a hurry. I think Cowboy fans are the equivalent of a starving person. 
I think if you walked up to a, a starving human being that hasn't eaten in two weeks or something and you said, hey, I'll give you a steak dinner right now or I'll give you 50 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that'll last you, you know, two weeks or something. They're going to take that freaking steak, man, like in a second. And I think that's the Cowboys. I mean, they just they just have no big picture. They have no foresight, no big picture uh, thinking. They're so desperate for a winner that I think 100%, man, they take it at whatever cost. And I think Jerry would too, honestly. I know that we lean into the medieval theme for your pick of the week, but we do an alms for the poor now for the Cowboys. We're just collecting stuff so that they can be good again. I guess so, man. I guess so. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's this interesting combination of a fan base so desperate uh, to win and the rest of the country so happy to see them kept down. <laughs> Cowboys fans and just everything about it is is very interesting because we talked about la- this last week. The, the coverage about them is just so interesting. You have Stephen A. and Skip Bayless both on Twitter immediately after this game. And that's all we're talking about today is the Cowboys. Other teams were involved here. Obviously, the Bills are going to have to figure it out. But the Bengals, to me, they're your team, man. Joe Burrow, he can do it all. He can play in any condition. Doesn't matter what's going on. You could chop off all of his extremities. He'd still be slinging dimes and winning games. And he just, he's the coolest guy in the league. And I say that from his personality, the way he plays on the field. And like I said, the Bengals have taken that step. The step we all thought, I thought that the Bills were going to take that step. Everything that happened last year, the way their season ended, and they didn't. They fell flat. And the Bengals are that team right now. And you you may not want to believe it if you're listening, but the Bengals are here. And I think they're here to stay. Joe Burrow's not crazy when he says the window is his career. Yeah, I mean, he's just a winner, man. Like, you look at him, and I see a lot of what we saw to Brady. Now, they're different guys, uh, the way they carry themselves and play the game, but they both have that it factor, that intangible, whatever magic it is out there, that it's just they're winners. They are winners through and through. That They will find a way to win. They win cool as a cucumber. Like, they don't get... They don't get overwhelmed in big moments. They're not afraid of the spotlight. And they're going to sit down and just, I mean, they don't even, uh, I don't know, just even in victory or defeat, like just even keeled. But you can see the way he competes is so so intense. And I thought the same about Tom Brady, you know, like he's always very humble sort of uh, to the media, at least traditionally. But you see him all, you know, all fiery on the field. And gosh, I mean, to see that out of Joe Burrow, and he seems like a very ordinary guy. You know, he's, he's chock full of that, AFC North grit that the coach loves. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, I, I would just, ah, I love it. I love it. I just would, I just want to sit down with, uh, with Joe Burrow, you know, we'll, we'll sit down at lunch at the steel mill with our pails of, of lunch and talk about the good old days and smoke a cigar. I don't know, but I love the guy. Where is Joe Burrow from? He's not even from up there. And you think that he's like this Rust Belt King. Oh, he is. He is. is. He? Uh, is he I'm really? pretty sure he's, yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he's like a local Cincinnati dude. Wait. For sure. Because, really? uh, and I only know this, listen, yeah, because a uh, ex coworker of mine uh, is from the area in Cincinnati and his like sister's or his wife's friend or something like that is like high school friends with Joe Burrow and he's met him and like had dinner with him and stuff. Yeah, I'm almost certain you have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he's from the Cincinnati area. Joe Burrow was born in Ames, Iowa. So, okay, I'll take it. Where did he grow up at, though? I don't know. I mean, Wikipedia doesn't have that. They probably long erased that by now. We don't have a research team here. I don't have producers back there who can say something I'm into our ear. Research it. 
Great. Yeah, you go ahead I'm and research. Do your own research and figure out where the hell Joe Burrow came from, will you? On the other side of that, though, the Bengals are in a great place. They have their guy, and they have their guy for a very long time. I don't think that the Bengals are going to let him go. They would be foolish not to pay him whatever he wants whenever it is time to pay him, every time that it's time to pay him. On the other side, though, the 49ers beat the Cowboys. It was a classic 90s matchup. Great looking matchup from a uniform perspective, by the way. I love the 49ers red with the gold pants, gold helmet. It just, it's vintage. It's awesome. I just absolutely love it. The 49ers are in an interesting spot, though, because they have Trey Lance, who's hurt. They had Jimmy G, who they gave a boatload of money. They're not going to keep him. And then there's Mr. Irrelevant, who just keeps winning games, who now has the same amount of playoff wins as Dak Prescott, the aforementioned Dak Prescott. And Purdy didn't play all that great. It wasn't as if he was a world beater out there. But against that very, very tough Dallas defense, he did just enough for them to win with all the weapons that they have. And I feel like they're in a conundrum here because Trey Lance probably shouldn't lose his job to injury. That's always one of the biggest things they say is you should never lose your job to injury or illness. But man, if Brock Purdy even brings them to the Super Bowl, that quarterback room is going to be one short next year. And I'd like to think it's Jimmy G, but do you think that a quarterback competition is warranted at that point if Brock even just takes him to a Super Bowl, let alone wins one? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you anoint him automatically if they win the Super Bowl. You know, I think you give him, honestly, the 49ers would probably have an opportunity to cash in because I think they would still believe in Trey Lance and even Jimmy G to some degree, you know, if he's healthy. And I think that if someone's willing to give you some good pieces or draft picks for Brock Purdy, I think you take it. Truthfully, I, I mean, and I get if he got you to the Super Bowl, but I guarantee you no one knows his deficiencies more than Kyle Shanahan. And if those, you know, and if those deficiencies are real and he's just finding ways to cover them up, uh, I think he's a seller all day long when it comes to him this offseason. And there's no better time to sell. If you could sell your third string quarterback in free agency for high draft picks or a piece you're missing because he took you to the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl for you, I think you take that all day long. And some people might think it's crazy, but I think they'll be just fine if one of the other two guys ends up starting for him next year. I think this is just sort of a, like lightning in a bottle. Purdy to me seems like the perfect backup. Like even if they win the Super Bowl this year, you make it a competition, but I think you do let Trey Lance come back. I will say the worst thing that could have happened to Trey Lance was that injury. And you can't foreshadow that. You can't prevent that, obviously. But for that kid, he just needed reps because he really didn't play a lot in college, hasn't taken a lot of snaps in the NFL. And maybe that team wouldn't be where they are if Trey Lance played this year. But remember where the Eagles were last year? Imagine where the 49ers would be next year with Trey Lance having all of that experience. But I, there's something about Brock Purdy, man. And he made a couple of throws that I literally gasped at because I thought, oh, dear. Like, those are rookie throws. There was one where he got spun around in the opposite direction, and he heaves it, and I thought, that better be out of the end zone. And thankfully, it was. But that's one of those where comes back to the sideline, Shanahan brings him over and says, great throw, don't ever fucking do it again, because it was just, woo, that's a rookie move. But they're, the team is responding to him. And I wonder if next season, when we're in training camp, what happens if this team doesn't respond to Trey Lance? Well, the one thing about Trey Lance that's unfortunate because of the injuries he's had is it may be one of those stories of a player who never really got a chance to get his legs under him. You know what I mean? And it's it's really sad to see that, but we've seen it, I feel like, before, not too often, but where you have a talent that comes in, they're plagued by injury, and they never really get the ball rolling. And that's something that could happen here with Trey Lance. Now, as far as will they not respond to him, I think in the NFL level, I think that guys just want to win. And they know... 
who gives them the best chance to win based off of their ability and how they work with the team. I think it's more about winning than it is with chemistry at the NFL level because it's these guys, it's their profession, it's their job. And personal relationships don't carry as much weight, I don't think, at that level as they might at the college level. I don't know that you'll have any internal strife over that, but I do think you let, you know, you open it up. It's like, hey, like we're coming in here, like best guy is going to have the job and you go from there. And even if Jimmy G's in the equation, I agree with you. I don't think all three of them will be there. I think that they'll move a piece, but it's an open competition, though, as far as I'm concerned. I believe Jimmy G signed a one year deal. So I think he's an, a free agent after this season. There's no way that he stays there as a backup because there's a good number of teams that will pay for his services. And he's probably going to get $25, $30 million to start on some team. I mean, the Jets would take him. The Raiders would take him. The Colts would take him. There's a lot of teams who would easily pay for Jimmy G. Solid B, B B-minus starter in the league. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. And that can get you to a Super Bowl because this team, in mostly its current makeup, got to a Super Bowl a few years back with him. And if he makes one throw, they actually win that Super Bowl. But the Brock Purdy situation is so interesting because it's like he's playing with house money. He didn't think he would be here. And there's no way. If you brought Kyle Shanahan to a room and was like, look, we're going to tell you in week one that Brock Purdy, your third string guy who you drafted dead last in the draft, is going to take you to an NFC championship game this year because none of your other quarterbacks are available. Kyle Shanahan's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he would have thought that Trey Lance got hurt in the fourth quarter of the wild card game or something. You know what I mean? Oh, if yeah. you told him or, you know, or something like that, if uh, you gave him that scenario. No, I think that you're right. You named a lot of uh, potential landing spots for Jimmy G. I'd take him in Indy if, if that's how it panned out. I think a lot of fan bases would be happy uh, with his services compared to some of the alternatives. You know, and, and you talk about, you know, these young quarterbacks. I guess Jimmy G's not that young, but Trey Lance. Trey Lance is, and of course, Brock Purdy is, you know, another team with young quarterback, Jacksonville Jaguars. And this week didn't turn out for them as they expected. But I think that you alluded to at the beginning that, you know, it's a team that's moving in the right direction. And I, I really like the position they're in, especially with Doug Peterson there. You have Trevor Lawrence, obviously, I think ETN in the backfield and some of the other young pieces they have. I think they're going to be around for a while, especially in a division that's right for the taking for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah. If the Jaguars play their cards right, the AFC South, which is a trash heap, is totally theirs for the taking. No offense, by the way, but it is a trash heap. Untaken. If the Colts can't get their shit together and actually put a serviceable quarterback there, Jimmy G, I think, with that team, if they get one more weapon on offense, that's a team in that division that could be good. So if the Jags play their cards right, they could be there. Watching this game, I never got the sense that the Jags felt the moment was too big for them playing in Arrowhead, in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes, this team, this coach, everything is against you. And while they didn't win the game, and it wasn't a game, in my opinion, that felt like they were ever really in it, it never felt like the Giants-Eagles game, where they were just completely out of it. You could see the talent. Trevor Lawrence has taken drastic steps from last year. It makes Urban Meyer look like a total fucking buffoon. Oh, absolutely. I mean... To think that Urban Meyer couldn't even like manage to scratch out a handful of wins with with that roster last year tells you everything you need to know about him and the respect that team had for him. Because I do think a lot of when it comes to effort in the NFL, I think a lot of it has to do with how much they respect the person that they're playing for. And it's very apparent that this team respects the hell out of uh, Doug Peterson and what he brings to the table. You're right. I don't think that the moment was too big for the Jags at all. And I think that 
Something that's not talked about enough is when you have these guys like Trevor Lawrence that played at Clemson, that's played in national championship games, you know, they've played in tough environments. They've played tough teams, tough opponents. And yes, it's different at the NFL level. The stakes are higher, but it's not uncharted waters for them. Where like a Daniel Jones played at Duke, didn't play in a lot of hostile environments, a lot of big games. You know, maybe some of that got to him a little bit. I know he's been in the league for a few years. But I do think there's some value in uh, these quarterbacks or even running backs, for that matter, that come from high-level college programs that have played in big games. That's a good point, actually, because they are running pro-style offenses against other players. A lot of those teams that make the college football playoff, there's a lot of potential pros on those teams. And especially if you play in Alabama, where like 70% of the team is friggin' drafted. So Trevor Lawrence, though, he was a can't-miss prospect. Like, And last year, when he was with Urban Meyer, I kept thinking to myself, there's got to be something wrong with the situation. It's not Trevor. And in this game, the throws that he was making, he actually overthrew a couple of guys, and that's going to happen. You get adrenaline. He's got a big fucking arm. It's like he's throwing 60-yard bombs with no effort. You could see all of the raw talent that was there, and Doug Peterson was able to harness it and give him some confidence. The way that team finished, Doug Peterson did a hell of a job, and I thought that their loss was nothing to sneeze at, and they have something to build upon for next year, but that wasn't the story in this game. It was Patrick Mahomes, and not for the reasons we think about. He injures his ankle in the first quarter, basically the same kind of a play from Tony Pollard, and he's lucky that he still has that foot, to be honest. Mahomes comes back out the next play, and he literally hops to hand the football off. I do not understand how he's in that game at all, period, the rest of the way. Want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, he's had a, a, a few like ankle or foot injuries, I feel like, since he's been in the league. I think when it comes down to it, he's a, he's a freaking competitor like all these guys are. But in a playoff game, when what's on the line is on the line, he's going to be on the field. And I think that you're going to see him on the field this week, no doubt in my mind. And I, I think obviously it'd be handled differently if it was... Uh, you know, a head injury or something like that. At least we could, should hope so. I imagine conversations were had on the sideline, kind of uh, one of those, hey, like if I play on this, can I hurt it any worse? Like, can I do any, I get it's going to hurt, but like, can I do anything to it that's going to damage it worse than it is in a serious way? And if the answer is, oh, well, not really. It, you know, you tweaked it pretty good. It's, it's sprained really bad or whatever. Uh, it's just going to hurt like hell. Well, then he's just going to suck it up and go out there and play ball. And I think that's probably what he did. And we're going to see him on the field this weekend. I have no doubt in my mind. I have no doubt either. But in the moment, I'm watching this and I have to give credit to my wife who's watching this. And she said, should he even be in this game? What happens if he can't play next week? That even if they win this game with him out there and they don't have him for next week, this is win or go home, man. So you need this guy. And I think when I saw Chad Henney, still in the league, by the way, 15th year, he leads them down to a 98-yard touchdown drive. Longest drive in Chiefs history. And I'm thinking to myself, there's a capable backup. Why don't you stick with him and see how Mahomes is doing? Mahomes ends up going in, and I know they shot him up with all these different things and all that, but I just would have been worried in the moment that, God, what happens if something even worse happens? Like, yeah, we win this game, but the goal is to win the Super Bowl. It just seemed very short-sighted on his part because he was all over the trainers for not letting him go out there. That's what they're there for. It's not Patrick Mahomes' decision at that point, or I don't think it should be. Right. I get what you're saying. That's a fair point. I think from, uh, you know, assuming Andy Reid was involved in this conversation to some degree, and I don't recall exactly what the time and situation was when all this transpired, but let's say that Jacksonville scores 
and it comes down to like, okay, here comes a game winning drive and you've got Chad Henney out there and he turns the ball over and Jacksonville wins the game. Like Andy Reid's like, hey, we might lose this game, but I'm not losing it without Patrick Mahomes on the on the field. Or, you know, Patrick Mahomes probably believe the same thing. Like, if, you know, like if we lose this game, it's going to be with me on the field doing everything in my power to win the game. I think that I think that Andy Reid would have been more scrutinized had he not played Mahomes and things went south. Now, obviously, things worked out great. So we can all look back, you know, 2020. Right. I don't know, man. <laughs> These guys. uh these guys want to play and they're going to do whatever they got, got to do to get on the field. And I, I don't fault them for that. I mean, being granted, I never played at a high level, but just even being a high school athlete and stuff like that. It, I mean, it would have taken a lot to keep me off the field. And so I'm not going to beat up Mahomes or the chiefs, especially in a playoff game and what's on the line for putting them out there. I'm not either, but at the same time, like that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because if Mahomes breaks his ankle later in the game and they end up losing, it's all Andy Reid's fault. He's a selfish player. So maybe I'm playing the result here. I just was watching him and thinking he's hobbling to hand the ball off. That's not even a playable injury. He couldn't even plant his foot to throw. Now, Terry Bradshaw did say he never plants his feet to throw. So what does it matter? And I guess there is some validity that I don't know. I was watching it. Maybe I'm conservative in my approach, but right. I'm thinking, man, if he doesn't play next week, then they're screwed because they can't beat the Bengals with Chad Henney. Well, and you're right, but maybe the thought was, well, if we don't win this game, we're not going to have a chance at all next week. So let's make sure we win this game. And if Pat can't go, at least we have a week to get Chad Henney ready to play. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. Obviously, I think Mahomes is going to play, but let's say he did go out and break his leg and physically could not play. At least you had a week to get uh, Chad Henney ready to go, which you would prefer. That being said, like you alluded to, they could not beat the Bengals with Chad Henney. And I think they're going to have a hard time beating the Bengals with Patrick Mahomes, especially a slightly hobbled Patrick Mahomes, even if it's an arrowhead, because we talked about the Jags not being worried about the moment. The Bengals aren't going to be one bit scared or hesitant to go in there and play in that environment at all. You know, hey, they, they're embracing it, I think. I think they're embracing that underdog mentality. They just went in the Buffalo, one of the toughest places to play, uh, one convincingly. And I, I don't think they're going to blow the doors off the Chiefs, but I'm going to uh, stand by them. You made one mistake. You said they're going to have to get Chad Henney ready. Chad Henney's always fucking ready. He's been in the league for 15 years. Just plop him in an offense. He's ready to go. I don't know if we talked about it. I know I saw something, just how much money that dude's made. And he's played, or who am I thinking of? Chase Daniel. That's what I, you're right. Yeah. And like the amount of snaps he's played for what he's made. Yeah. There's a lot of white quarterbacks that came in at the same time. They're all basically the yeah, same. You're but, right. Uh, you're Chad right. Henney is a Super Bowl champion. Put some respect on his name, please. <laughs> where uh, where was he at when they are? Was he still with the Chiefs when they won? Mm -hmm. He actually had to play that year or he had to play one of the years. I don't know if you remember in the game against the Browns, that divisional game against the Browns. He actually had to play because Mahomes had hurt himself and they ended up winning that game. And that actually furthers my point is you have a capable guy, especially who's been on the team with all the other players that they have. I think they still could have won it and then made sure Mahomes was OK. But again, as you pointed out, hindsight is always 2020 and they won and Mahomes is going to be ready to go, no doubt. But before we get to the conference championship, let's talk about the losing teams for a minute. And maybe this is an obvious question, but which team is better set up for the future, the Jags or the Giants? I want to say the Jags because they have more of a sure thing at quarterback, which is hard to find. I think it's a lot easier to put pieces around a great quarterback than it is to do the opposite. Um, I think that Daniel Jones is solid, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. 
Daniel Jones is probably more on par with like Dak Prescott, like we talked about. I think there's there's a high floor, but there's a low ceiling. And I think in the situation with the Jags, there's a sky high ceiling with Trevor Lawrence. It is nice to see what the Giants have been able to do. Brian Dable and Danny Dimes, as you call them, like, you know, they had a really good year, got a playoff win. Obviously, things didn't go well for them this week. But, you know, we talk about all the time, like you're playing a division team that makes it even harder. And the Eagles are damn good as much as it pains me to say it. But I take the Jags, man. That would that would be my pick as far as who's better set up for the future. And I think that's obvious. Both of these teams, Jags and the Giants, were good stories heading into the week. I think that the Jags, though, Doug Peterson was gift wrapped a young, talented team that he just needed to harness. Brian Dayball was taking over a team that had not been coached or well coached in years. Joe Judge clearly could not coach that team, didn't get anything out of that team. They were a laughing stock. I think Brian Dayball deserves a lot of credit for this year, but I think that this year is not really the season that we're going to get to judge him as a head coach in this franchise. It's going to be next year. And they have a tough road because they're going to have to keep Danny Dimes for one more year, probably sign him to a one-year deal. You're not giving that guy $300 million. He has not proven that yet. Unfortunately, in year five, what they have to do is dedicate and show that they're committed to him and give him some actual weapons. Where I think the Jaguars just won their division a lot of confidence. If they put another couple of pieces there, Trevor Lawrence is only going to continue to ascend. He's already more talented than Danny Dimes. What Daniel Jones has over him, though, experience, snaps, game situations. But I don't know how much that's going to translate because of the other team that's around him. The Jags, I think, are going to be very interesting to watch. They might be a different version of the Eagles just in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones has that NFL experience, but like we talked about earlier, I think some of the experience that Lawrence has from the college level might offset that disparity slightly. And then another point you mentioned, the AFC South is there for the taking for the Jags for the foreseeable future. I think the Titans are on probably the downward downward slope as far as, you know, they got some older guys. They're going to have to get into a rebuild here soon. The Colts are a dumpster fire, as are the Texans. Uh, where the NFC East is on pretty solid ground. I think the Eagles are going to be around for a while. The Cowboys are still going to manage to be serviceable. And you can't really count out the Commanders. I mean, for... Yes, you can. But um, for what their roster was, they managed to put together a fairly solid season. So the AFC East or the NFC East in general is definitely a better division uh, than the AFC South. So I think that's a little more of an uphill climb having to you know, play all those teams twice a year as opposed to the setup that Lawrence is going to have, you know, but I do get what you said that, you know, Peterson definitely got the better roster coming in and had a little more, you know, at least they were only tainted by like one year of Urban Meyer as opposed to, you know, the setup in New York where Joe Judge had those guys for, it wasn't a couple of years, wasn't it? It wasn't just one, one and done. Didn't, wasn't he there for a couple of years? Yeah, it was, I think two years. It just, none of it all went right. well. No, it wasn't good. And what sucks too up there is Saquon Barkley is a, very talented player, but the shelf life on running backs is short, man. And like they have probably, they're probably on the back end of what would be his prime at this point, unfortunately. Like he, he, he probably has another year or two of being, a, you know, at the top of his game, but it's going to drop off fast and drop off fast soon, I'm afraid. Oh, it's a precipitous fall. I mean, isn't the average running back career like 3.2 years or something like that? And he has had injuries already. So, I feel like the deck is stacked against Saquon Barkley being an elite running back. I think he's going to be like Zeke in a few years. I mean, maybe he'll be an anomaly if he stays healthy like Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's getting ready to hit that fall 
in a couple of years. Next year might be his last elite year, which is why I think the Titans might get rid of him, try to get something for him. And a team that could use him might end up taking a risk with him. I mean, can you imagine him in Buffalo? <laughs> that would be insane. I mean, and, and like on paper, you would be like, wow, that would give them exactly what they've been missing. But is that a win now move? You know, what would that cost Buffalo? And now granted Buffalo, I think is built to win now. That's the idea. But the drop off is coming. Like you said, maybe one more year of, of being elite. But even what he's done, even the longevity that he has achieved in his career to this point is impressive, man. It, it exceeds what we see out of most guys for sure, especially for his physical style. Oh, 100%. I mean, he runs very, very hard. So does Saquon Barkley. And I think that Saquon has less of a chance, I think, of being that way, having that longevity. There's just something about Derrick Henry. He's like a modern-day Jim Brown. He's just built differently than every other running back and every other player, honestly, on the field. There's not many players that are built like Derrick Henry. But I think it'll be interesting to watch both of these teams. But the Jags, I think, will be a much more interesting watch next year just because I think they have a more exciting core with Trevor Lawrence there. Now, to the Bills and the Cowboys. Both of these teams are obviously good. They're built to win now. But which one do you think is more likely or more capable of winning the Super Bowl next year? Bills or Cowboys? The Bills. The Bills. 100% the Bills. Uh, a lot of the, you know, for the reasons we talked about earlier, <clears throat> I do think the Bills are going to have to make some moves maybe to solidify themselves as a Super Bowl contender. But they have what we talked about. You have a a dynamic quarterback that can win a game for you. And the Cowboys do not have that, unfortunately. They don't. But if you're the Cowboys, I don't think the Bills consider a coaching change because I don't think McDermott has yet gotten to that point where you have to question if maybe he's part of the issue. But McCarthy, I think 100% needs to be at least considered. Jerry Jones is already out there saying he's not going to consider a coaching change. But to me, it seems like if all the players are the same, and the coach just can't get it out of him, then maybe you need to reevaluate. But Jerry, he's going to keep a guy that says yes every time. And I feel like McCarthy's going to be there. But if you are the GM, are you considering a change at coach for the Cowboys? I've never been impressed with Mike McCarthy. I think that the, the Cowboys would benefit from maybe one of these young offensive masterminds that, that we talk about from time to time, you know, a Kyle Shanahan type of guy. But I'll give Jerry credit, though, for his... As impulsive as he is perceived to be, he won't fire coaches, man. I mean, look how long he hung on to Jason Garrett uh, past his expiration date. And now he's doing the same thing here with McCarthy a little bit. Granted, you know, we're still years away from the length of time he kept Garrett. But I, I don't know. I think, do I think that there's something holding them back and that would be the easiest factor to change? Yes, it's much easier to replace your head coach than it is to replace the quarterback at this point or whatever higher higher likelihood of an upgrade in that scenario but will they do it uh, i mean as much like i said as much of a slime ball as jerry might be at times i do take him at his word for the most part and if he says he's not going to do it i believe him yeah he's definitely not going to fire him because he likes a guy who jerks him off i mean that's what jerry's all about and he the, jason garrett cracks me up we have a nickname for him in this house he's the clapper because he's really great at clapping all the time, no matter what happens on the field. Most of the time, pick six, he's there clapping, 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 ready, and he never motivated. Mike McCarthy has won a Super Bowl, so obviously he can get to that elite level. Now, granted, he had Aaron Rodgers in his prime, so that certainly helps, 
But I feel like there's something missing, that this Cowboys team just does not respond. And I don't see a fundamental difference between McCarthy or Jason Garrett in terms of that. And you said it, I think, two weeks ago. You need a guy who can motivate professionals. And I don't think any of those guys can do that. That's what they need in Dallas, but that's not what Jerry wants because Jerry wants to be able to run the show the way that he sees fit. And having a coach that questions him, not really part of his runway. That's one of the things I'm most fascinated by when it comes to the NFL because we see these uh, post-game locker room rah-rah speeches and stuff. But I know they're they're on TV, so they're they're very generic. But they just feel so awkward. Oh, they are. You know, and like the head coaches in most cases, they almost, they they seem so detached at times from the team, and even the good ones. You know that. They're, they're winning and everything seems to be great. I really wonder what that looks like. I would love to be, you know, be able to look behind the curtain and see what the culture is on a team that is highly successful, that seems to respect the coach, that plays hard. What sort of uh, things are at play that cultivate, cultivates that environment? I mean, I think obviously I, I've experienced that at the high school level and, and college isn't a whole lot different because I think, you know, they're not great at they're being paid, but they're not quite on that level of professionals yet. At the pro level, like if you're a wide receivers coach, odds are most of the time, every guy that you're coaching knows more about playing wide receiver than you do. Oh, yeah. You know, and like, how do you bridge that gap? You know, how do you earn respect? How do you manage to coach those guys? I'd be so fascinated to learn more about that. I never will, I'm sure. But it's it's very intriguing to me. I think you need to watch Hard Knocks because maybe you'll get a little bit of a glimpse into it there. Still made made for TV, made for TV. I, I will say this, though. As made for TV as it is, I watched the Cowboys season and came away with Mike McCarthy adds nothing to that team. He adds no personality to that team whatsoever. I don't know how they do it, but I think there's some guys like Pete Carroll seems like a guy that would be genuine in his enthusiasm. A guy I don't think that gets enough credit for the connection that he has with his players is Bill Belichick, actually because the way that he comes off in the media is intentional. He's intentionally vague and curmudgeon and all that. I actually think that he is very, very loyal to his players, despite what you heard about him and Brady. That's going to happen when you have two people who are that successful, who are constantly married together. I think to a man, if you asked each one of them about the respect that they have for each other, they both highly respect the other and would go out of their way to praise one or the other. I mean, Belichick has said that Brady's the best player he's ever played with outside of Lawrence Taylor. I mean, Lawrence Taylor was a different kind of guy. This is a defensive player. So I don't see that as a shot to Brady whatsoever. But I think these guys do respect each other. But how they motivate, I'm fascinated by that too. Because how do you motivate a guy who makes more money than you do? For the most part. Not every guy is like that. I guess we'll see. There's a lot that these teams have to answer for in the offseason. But we're not quite there yet, man. Because we got two more games to go. We're down to the final four. Honestly, I think both of these games are going to be bangers. But I want to start in the AFC. A rematch from last year. Bengals, Chiefs. Arrowhead Stadium, Joe Burrow coming back in, looking for that upset. I can't wait. Well, we talked about it a little bit already. I think you're going to have a Chiefs team that is at a slight disadvantage because you're not going to have 100% Patrick Mahomes. You have a Bengals team coming in with a chip on their shoulder, which I think that's just how they operate. That's how we in the AFC North operate in general with a gigantic chip on our shoulders uh, from the cold North Rust Belt. Just the fact, man, he's so cool and laid back. And I think that that is one of those things. It's an intangible that is priceless. If you have a guy that's just cool under pressure and if he can convey that uh, to his teammates, 
And I heard someone talking about it today. They said, you know, you got this game, you're in Buffalo, you know, against the number two seed and you see Burrow out there in pregame, like doing that pass with the 360, just calm as could be, man. It's like, if they see that guy calm, they're like, hey, we're going to be just fine today. Like he's calm, he's confident. I'm calm, I'm confident. Let's go. And I've obviously sat here and stroked the Bengals enough, but I'm all over it, man. I'm all over it. Give me the Bengals. I don't even... I, it's going to be a ball game. I mean, I think it's going to be a shootout. The Bengals defense is going to have to shoot. If it's a shootout, the Bengals are in trouble. But I think it's going to be a battle the whole way. The Bengals defense has to show up just like they did this week. If they don't, they're in trouble. Uh, I think that Andy Reid, if Mahomes is a little banged up, they're going to have to get a little creative with some of the things they do offensively, maybe to make up for his lack of mobility, if that appears to be the case, which if there's a guy that's capable of doing that in the league, it's Andy Reid. At the end of the day, I, I've been with the Bengals the whole way, and I'm going to stay with them, man. And it, it'll probably be close, but give me the Bengals. Key to this game is getting pressure to Mahomes and testing out whether he can do his magic. What makes Mahomes so special is everything that he does outside of the pocket and being able to kill you when he gets outside of the pocket. But if you watch that Jags game, he was unable to really do so, and the Jags weren't able to capitalize on it. If the Bengals' defensive line bullies the Chiefs' offensive line the way that they did the Bills, Mahomes is in deep, deep shit. And I feel like Joe Burrow, at one point, is going to go to the NFL and say, look, I'm going to win every Super Bowl of my career by playing every single game on the road. I don't even want to play a home game. Make it as hard on me as possible. Throw everything you have at me. Let lightning strike me, and I will still win this football game. I got a feeling that the Bengals are going to take it home and get back to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is the new friend of the show. He is the man, our icon. Go, Joey Burr. He might be one of the guys we could actually get on the show sometime. He seems so ordinary. Come on, Joe. Come on down, even though you'll never hear this. That's fine. Totally going to tweet this at him. And then the other <laughs> game in the NFC, Eagles and Niners. And on paper, the Eagles feel like they are heavy favorites, but the Niners come in with that underdog mentality with Mr. Irrelevant playing real great behind Brock Purdy. I don't know. And I feel like this is going to be a pick of the week later, a little, little bit later on in the show. But this is an intriguing matchup because I think the Eagles have all the confidence in the world. They're playing at home. They just obliterated the Giants, but the Niners are tough. No, the Niners are tough. And I think that what we have here is you take Brock Purdy out of the equation, all right? The 49ers are a veteran team, really. I mean, comparatively speaking, veteran team, a veteran coach at this point. Yes, they're going on the road. They're going cross country, but God, the NFL guys do this all the time. So I think people make more out of that crap than is necessary. Uh, and it's a freaking NFC championship game. You have Jalen Hurts, who, yes, we could say, you know, to my point earlier, he's played in big games at Alabama and Oklahoma. This is his first NFC championship game. Uh, and they're Philly similar to Dallas. You know, you have a fan base that's really hungry for success. And I do think there's some pressure that comes along with that. I don't think that same pressure really exists with the 49ers being on the road. I, I, I said, I don't think that's a factor. I really like the 49ers and this game might be a shootout really might be a shootout. I think because you have two good offenses um, as long as, you know, Brock Purdy cannot turn the ball over. That is probably a huge factor. Yeah, this one is going to be very, very interesting. But I'm going to tell you what right now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick with my heart. And I'm going to say that Coach's Super Bowl prediction is coming true in spades. Bengals, Niners, February 12th. Pencil it in right fucking now. 
rolling toward the end, my friends. And we are here with OTW starting off with Iceman's Stat of the Week. Coach, you are familiar with Andy Reid as we talked about him before. He recently, this past weekend, got to his 20th playoff victory, one of the best records of all time. Did you know, though, that he is the first coach in NFL history to lead not one, but two franchises to 10 playoff wins in his career? Quite an achievement and one of the best coaches we've ever seen. That is quite an achievement. Uh, When you first brought him up, I thought it was just going to be some sort of stat on the number of cheeseburgers that he could consume in one sitting. But this one's even more fascinating and maybe unexpected. Yeah, what he did in Philly was great. And, uh, you know, to see him still be able to have the same success in Kansas City is awesome. I think that's really the testament of a great coach is when you see him go elsewhere and and just basically keep, keep it on going. And, yeah, he's had great players, but great coaches have to put great players in positions to be successful. And he's managed to do that at two places. My friends, it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. The aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars, unfortunately, did not make it over the Kansas City Chiefs. And despite the fact that I forgot to update the graphic, I didn't forget to update the record. And that's what's most important. Losing last week, the coach falls to a sub-500 6-7-2 as he picked the Jaguars straight up to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Coach, please, 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 Bless us with another shitty pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye, peasants, gambling degenerates, and Kansas City Chiefs fans. I come to you from the North, the AFC North, that is. Friends of the Rust Belt, gather as we head West to Kansas City, Missouri. Yes, that's right. Kansas City, Missouri for the AFC championship game between our Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. Surprisingly, the Chiefs are currently a one-point underdog at home, but that's irrelevant because we here, or me anyways, I am taking the Cincinnati Bengals straight up to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and return to the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, and the entirety of the Rust Belt over the Kansas City Chiefs straight up to head to their second straight Super Bowl. So let it be written. So let it be done. And that brings us to the end of the episode once again. It goes by so friggin' fast every single week. And even though we have less to talk about in terms of volume of games, we are never short on content. So do you have any parting thoughts for the masses of Ice Time Nation, my friend? Ice Time Nation, as we talked, I think we're going to see the 49ers and the Bengals uh, come out victorious this weekend and uh, head into the Super Bowl here in a couple of weeks. Also, on top of that, if you are if you are a college basketball fan and looking for one of the, the great college basketball rivalries, especially an obscure one to most of you, uh, this Wednesday night, the Bradley Braves uh, will be hosting the Illinois State Redbirds. And this is one thing that used to be referred to as the War on 74 because Interstate 74 separates these two universities by approximately 30 miles. More so recently in the uh, wake of a lot of the wars we've been fighting in, they've they've shifted it towards the I-74 rivalry, which is probably more appropriate and socially acceptable. But that being said, that this is like one of those things. This is Cubs Cardinals. This is Yankees Red Sox. When these two teams get together, throw out the records, uh, it'll be the, the largest crowd of the year 
um, in Peoria this Wednesday. And when Bradley returns there in a couple of weeks, it'll be their largest crowd of the year. And so I will be in attendance. I'm looking forward to a Bradley victory. So I believe ESPN Plus, if you can find it, check out the Braves Wednesday night. And if you haven't signed up for ESPN Plus at this point, what are you doing? Because that's where you find all of your obscure games like the Bradley Braves, my wife's Winthrop Eagles, despite how terrible they are this year. Any of those mid-major or sub-mid-major teams, you can find it all on ESPN Plus. That sounds exciting, man. I'll have to look into that because I've not watched a Bradley game this year. You have been repping them all season long, including that flag behind you, which apparently is your dad's last time I checked. And... I think that one day we need to educate the masses. And if you want to do that and support the Bradley Braves and Brad and the boys from Illinois, check out the Pub Time podcast, wherever it is that you find your podcast. They don't talk about the Bradley Braves, but you might hear some rugby talk every now and again, which is about the most ironic thing I've ever heard. Check out MattyIceMedia.com for all of our shows that we have. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, please hit follow. Please give us a review. You can find us on Twitter at Iceman and Coach is the handle. And do not forget Super Bowl Sunday, excuse me, Big Game Sunday, the Big Game pre-show Bedlam, 12 to 3 p.m., three shows, three hours, one network. Iceman and Coach will be starting it off. We'll be giving out the IC awards. We'll be taking phone calls. It's going to be one hell of a week, Coach. Thanks again for a great week, and thank you to the listeners. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.